The one thing that is undeniably universal is that death is inevitable. The death of a loved one is unsettling, regardless of the situation, and as such, those at the end of the process serve an invaluable role. Our friend Randy with Stokes, Proc, and Munt and the Cremation Society is here to tell us how funeral directors are here to provide much-needed assistance. Our main job is to educate, to comfort, to give them order, and to help them consider celebrating the life of the person that they lost, which is very therapeutic for them in the long run. Randy and the folks at Stokes, Proc, and Munt, along with the Cremation Society, are available to answer any of your questions, including pre-planning your arrangements. Check them out online and on social media. Well, hello everyone. Talk of the Town is up and running in Oak Prairie, Wisconsin, USA. I'm Scott Montesano, and this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Well, as we've said the last uh, few days, uh, this is curse-worthy cold <laughs> outside. It is, uh, it, it's not just cold. Uh, you are permitted. In fact, uh, I'd encourage you uh, to drop some profanity. Uh, when you head outside <laughs> and take in the, the weather that we have had. Uh, I am intrigued to see, as I get myself situated here, uh, I am intrigued to see if uh, what area schools still hold classes on Wednesday. We'll have to wait and see. See if any uh, schools utilize a, a snow day that at the time of this recording, at the time of us going on this show, early or I should say middle of Tuesday afternoon. Only a couple of really rural schools have done so, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Hey, we thank everybody for checking us out, whether it's the podcast, whether you're watching on Facebook. Don't forget to follow Eau Claire Hometown Media on Spotify and the iHeart app. Get all of our great podcasts. That'll come directly to you. Dose of Dog, Mark Khan Unleashed, The Breakout Sessions. So many great local podcasts, and uh, we're excited. We're going to have a couple additional ones joining us in February. One from the Boys and Girls Club. That'll drop about the middle of February. And then we also have one coming from another local doctor, and that'll be dropping in early to mid February. So check those all out. And of course, the website has everything as well. But I also know some of you just come to us because you want the audible chocolate of Scott Montesano. And I don't blame you. You want this. You want this voice to go into those eardrums and give you all the sweet feels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, as always, we got a lot to get to. And with it being a Tuesday, got some catch up to do on that. Uh, Nick Smyre has clapped back. If you watched our episode or listened to the episode from January 18th. In fact, I'd go back and do that before you listen to our conversation of Nick Smyre coming up in just a bit. We'll do that. Uh, talk of a referendum in Eau Claire. The, the, the city government putting one on the books. So uh, city residents, get ready. You might have two referendums, one from the school district, one from the city to discuss in the fall. But we begin with this couple of quick hitters here. Uh, 
This weekend coming up would have been the Banbury Art Crawl. Banbury Place is all these creatives inside of there and also all these great little local businesses. It's both been incubator and also a full-time home for a number of businesses. One of the things Banbury has done the last few years, though, was this art crawl, an art show inside of Banbury. Well, they didn't have it last year because of COVID, and word came down late last week that they were going to bang this year's art crawl because of COVID. So the Banbury art crawl not happening. Reason I bring it up is it's obviously big disappointment for local creatives. And they are justifiably upset about this, both those that were going to show but also for those that were perhaps that that wanted to attend the art crawl. They're justifiably upset. And we we have sporting events going on. We have events going on at the Pablo Center. We have things going on in the area. Things are happening. Things are happening across the country. So why are you banging this event? So I, I, I understand the concern from organizers, but also the deep disappointment and annoyance for the creatives. And it all comes down to who is running something. At this point in time, who is running something? If it is somebody that is uber cautious about COVID, it's likely going to be postponed or canceled. If it's somebody that is, I would say, down the middle to anti-COVID, if you will, it's going to go on. Obviously, the people with Banbury uh, Art Crawl are more of the heavily cautious when it comes to that. It, it's their decision. I feel, remember, I'm the, I'm the farthest thing from an art fan, as you all know. I'm blessed, though. Every day I wake up, look in the mirror, see the prettiest thing in the world, and that's me. But I know for a lot of you, you guys want a little bit more when it comes to, uh, as I get situated here, some more here. I'm a little bit out of place here with my... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with my microphone, I was, I was like, ah, things didn't look right. So, uh, as I was saying, I, I'm not going to get into should they have canceled, should they not have canceled and all that. I'm just saying I definitely am apathetic to the disappointment of those that were very upset. And you got a number of people on social media railing away at the Banbury art crawl. Uh, speaking of social media, word came down late last week, too, that uh, a local cult favorite in this area, the, the Living Room Coffee House. And it's located on Cameron Street. Some of you have been there. A lot of you probably haven't been. Uh, opened up in 2007. I remember when it first opened up, I was working at Clear Channel Radio at the time, just down the road. Tried to, tried to sell them on some advertising. The Living Room Coffee Shop opened in 2007. It's 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 gone through the same owners, but it's gone through a couple of different uh, variations of how it operates over time before COVID and all that. Uh, but they have now decided to sell. The owners have sold the coffee shop, the living room, to a quote-unquote popular local restaurant. So now let the conjecture begin as to who's going to be taking over that space, and we will wait and see. Uh, the living room coffee shop 
what you do lose with that, and I know it was a favorite for some, was a more, well, I'll say old school type of coffee shop. And when I say old school type coffee shop, we're talking what you think of a coffee shop was in the 1990s. If you watch Friends, for instance, uh, the coffee shop had a lot of just various, uh, a, a various uh uh, kaleidoscope of chairs around it, uh, uh, various soft chairs and sofas and things like that. And, you know, you, 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 the type of place where you went and you'd sit down and you'd relax as opposed to what we now think of as a coffee shop. And honestly, what I prefer too, what you think of at ECDC or the coffee grounds or Starbucks where it is more tables and it's kind of set up in a row and you go there to, it's kind of a meeting spot. The, the, the living room was more of what the old school idea of a coffee shop was, but uh, that has new owners and we'll see who takes uh, over that uh, spot and what they do with that uh, location here in the coming uh, days and weeks and, and all that uh, here. So that brings us to the conversation with Nick Smyer. Uh, Nick Smyer and the Department of Human Services. Uh, Nick Smyer has responded to what Steve Chilson and Mark Beckfield wrote in the Leader Telegram a couple of weeks ago. Now, again, go back and listen to our show from January 18th. It was extremely popular, that show. A lot of listeners to that show. Go back and listen. But remember, as a quick recap, in the, what was it, Friday, January, in the Friday, January 14th edition of the Leader Telegram, Mark Beckfield and Steve Chilson co-authored a lengthy letter to the editor in which they explained why they pushed for an investigation into the Department of Human Services and took aim at Nick Smyre and his various delay tactics and uh, what they perceive to be not criminal object, uh, not criminal obstruction, but clearly Nick Smyre trying to obstruct any type of questioning of the Department of Human Services. And why? And why did Nick Smyre do all these things? And Steve Charleston and Mark Backfield have been, at, uh, they've been, uh, verbally called out before by Nick Smyer, and they wanted to defend themselves. And as we've said here on this program, we, we're we all in on Steve Chilson and Mark Beckfield on this and all the other county board supervisors that pushed for the investigation into the Department of Human Services and Sheriff Ron Kramer's office should have some stuff on that in the next several months. Remember, Professional auditors recommended that there be a deep dive forensic audit into the Department of Human Services. Because again, as I keep going back to this, we're going to have to spend more money on those services, mental health and, 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 and child care services and all of that in the coming years. Before we can justify it, though, let's make sure they got their crap in order because clearly they didn't. And it's a question of were they criminal was it honest to goodness just mistakes or just flat out mismanagement? 
and we're going to have to fix that. Because what they have been doing, we don't know. Well, Nick Smyre, who has all along been defending the Department of Human Services and has been clapping back at anybody that dare question the Department of Human Services and why there is even an investigation going on, well, he has now responded to that lengthy letter to the editor from Steve Chilson and Mark Backfield. He did so last Friday in the Leader Telegram. First, I do have respect for Nick speaking out. He's 100% wrong, in my opinion, and I have not really... I, I haven't really found me I haven't really found myself to really enjoy much that comes out of his mouth. And if you ever watch how he sometimes leads these board meetings, he's sometimes all over the place. But he feels strongly and he doesn't shy away from expressing comments to the media, whether it's on this topic or any others. He doesn't shy away. He does come out and he does talk to the media. Won't come on any of our programs, but he does talk to the media. And that may actually be his problem when it comes to the Department of Human Services and this issue in particular, because his ego may be getting in the way. An ego of defending a profession, human services, that he does have ties to. But getting to his actual article that he wrote, which he titled, Clarification on County Board Issues. That's the... I don't know if that's his title or that's the one the Leader Telegram put out, but it does encompass what he tried to talk about, his side of the story. He defends his actions that, to some like me, have been viewed as trying to stall any investigation into the Department of Human Services and to minimize any punishment to the Department of Human Services, the DHS. He defends his actions. The synopsis is this. He lays out that there were a number of procedural things. That's why back in the fall of 2020, when all this stuff was starting to come to, the chickens were coming to roost, and you had the, the professional auditors recommend a forensic audit, and the county board supervisors seemed like they were about ready to go ahead. Nick Smyer says, no, 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 I wasn't slow rolling things. We had procedures that we had to follow. We had procedures we had to follow. Some people were getting too eager. We had procedures. He says there were questions as to the cost. What was it going to cost? We want to make sure we know that 100% what the cost was going to be and who was responsible for the cost. And before we go ahead, we want to be absolutely certain we have all that stuff taken care of. And Steve and Mark and the county sheriff, they overstepped and didn't give him Nick Smyer, the time necessary to make sure everything was ready. You and I are too small, are too smart to fall for this, right? You're, you're smart. You found this program. You and I are too smart to fall for this. He's deflecting, gaslighting to some extent. He's not saying... And by the way, this does set him up for cult for, for you know, plausible deniability and all that if the DHS is slapped across the face with findings. What he is saying is, I didn't say we're not going to be investigating. I just, you know, we want to make sure we got all the, every, all the ducks are in a row. 
All the ducks are in a row. It's like the person that says, well, well, we'll get married when this, 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 and this, this, and this happen. It's got to be absolutely perfect before we, I agree to marry you. Or the person that says, well, I'll go on a vacation when I've got nothing on my to-do list. And then when there's nothing on the to-do list, they start adding stuff to the, do, to the to-do list. And that's kind of what you had the situation back in fall of 2020, which then led to eventually the sheriff, Ron Kramer, just taking the money out of his own budget and going ahead with the investigation, which he is 100% legally responsible to do. So Nick Smyre is deflecting. He's gaslighting to some extent, telling you the issue isn't this. The issue was actually this. Oh, it was all about procedures and all that. He's trying to deflect. He's trying to take your eyes away from what was actually going on. Saying Mark and Steve and the county sheriff didn't follow the rules and the order of things. He's trying to cloud the actual issue at hand, which is poor management and potential criminal activity at the DHS. He's trying to cloud it with ticky-tack fouls. With ticky-tack fouls. It's not as serious as this, but if somebody goes speeding down Claremont Avenue at 75 miles an hour and they're drunk and they hit somebody and kill them. Yeah, the fact they were speeding and they ran a couple of red lights is, is bad, but the fact they were drunk and they hit somebody and murdered them, that's what's going to get them. Let's not forget about, forget about the other stuff. That's all part of it. Same thing here, all right? The reality is this. All the procedures he brings up in his article, and again, I encourage you to go back and read, all the procedures he brings up, are easily rectified and would have been easily rectified back in the fall of 2020 if he had been willing and had an actual appetite to investigate the DHS instead of trying to shield the DHS. He, tends, he, he doesn't think you and I remember how things were going back then. But he clearly, clearly, if you remember how those discussions were going at the, at the board meetings, no, that was back in the time where People, we had nothing better to do. We were actually watching these board meetings. He clearly was trying to shield the DHS. He and other surrogates for the DHS were constantly asking, well, why do we need this? Why do we need this? He didn't have an appetite. He didn't have an appetite to investigate the DHS despite all of the evidence that says you got to investigate these guys just to clear them. There's so much here. If you want to clear them, that you got to do a deep dive, and maybe you will find something. He had no appetite to actually do the investigation. It's like a person saying, nope, I'm not going to quit smoking today because there's a pack of cigarettes right there. Or the person says, eh, I'm not going to diet anymore. There's a cinnamon roll right there. You have to have the conviction you want to do something. Otherwise, you're going to keep finding reasons why not to do it. And that's what ended up happening here. You have to want to do it. 
In this case, Nick Smyre is hiding behind procedures that are typically rubber-stamped. And last but not least, he, he vehemently argues, and this is what got me really fired up back in the fall of 2020. He argues that the county board, the, nar- the narrative that's out there is the county board tabled the forensic audit discussion. And because they tabled it, the county sheriff's office then swooped in there and did it before the county board could make an actual decision. He's not technically wrong on that. He says, you know, that the narrative was that, and he argues that, well, the county board didn't technically table the discussion, is what he argues. He argues, we didn't table the discussion. We were discussing it and then got beat into the punch by the county sheriff's department. That's what he argues. No, 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 Nick. I was watching. So were a lot of you watching. That was a discussion to do the forensic audit that looked like it was going to be signed off in late September of that year. It got pushed. It looked like it was a sure thing in mid-October. It got pushed, and it became pretty darn clear you were slow-rolling it. You and other surrogates for the DHS were slow-rolling the issue. It became very, very clear. So, yes, again, technically... You're right. All right. You you didn't officially say no to this. And then the county sheriff came in. No, 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 no. But this this is kind of what you wanted to have happen to some extent. You didn't you didn't want to have an investigation. You just didn't think that maybe the county sheriff's office was going to go in and do it. And then you couldn't stop it once it was happening. Keep an eye on this. I, I, I keep an eye on this. We'll see if see if Steve Chilson and Mark Beckfield fire away back at uh, Nick Smyre again. I, I I always end all of our DHS discussions with this. Once the investigation is complete, and we have winners and losers, if you will, and remember, it's probably not going to be that clear. It's going to be a gray area. We then all have to take a step back and really take assessments. Obviously, there's going to be fallout for the DHS one way or the other, but also to everybody that's gone out and spoken. And namely, I come back to this. If the DHS is found to have issues, significant issues, Nick Smyers got to be held accountable for how he has acted and how he has attacked people because all he's done is pounded his fist on the table. He really hasn't defended the DHS. Instead, he's pretty much going, hey, why are you even questioning what they do? They do good work. They do good work. They shouldn't have to be subjected to this, the DHS. Well, I got news for you. I got news for you. People in the mafia would do good work for a neighborhood. They would do good things. But I'm pretty darn sure all the good they would do help fund some kids to go to college and all that sort of, That doesn't wipe away the criminal activity they would do. And I'm not just talking about the major stuff, even running numbers and things like that. Some of the white-collar crimes. It doesn't make it better. You do all these good things, doesn't make it up. You buy all the flowers in the world, it doesn't make up for the fact if you keep calling your wife fat. 
So the DHS could do all this great stuff. It doesn't mean they're impervious to being questioned about how they're running the business of it. So if the DHS is found to have all these problems, he's got to be rolled out. Diane Cable's got to be rolled out. Colleen Bates is going to be rolled out. A lot of these people are going to be rolled out. If the DHS comes back squeaky clean out of all of this, then I think it's not that an apology is necessary because, honest to God, they needed to be, you know, they need to get a clean bill of health. It's looked guilty, and it looks guiltier and guiltier by the day because of the way the surrogates talk. They make it seem like they're hiding something. But if they come back squeaky clean, then we got to open up the checkbook because they need more money. All right, continuing on. A bit of surprising news on Friday. Chancellor Jim did not get the UW system presidential post. Uh, The state's loss is our area's gain. As I said before, selfishly, I hoped he didn't get it because he's been so good for the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire uh, still surprised and, and that he did not get it. Jay Rothman, an attorney out of Milwaukee, got the the position. So that's a little surprising. Uh, continuing on, the city council has taken up a debate and is speaking in favor of holding a fall referendum to go beyond tax levy limits, uh, raising additional funds to... Uh, Finance things like hiring more bus drivers uh, for the city uh, city system, hiring people at the 911 center, just hiring more support staff, purchasing uh, areas of equipment, uh, taking care of roads, all that sort of stuff. They need more money. And they're sort of like kids coming home from college asking the parents for a little extra scratch. City council and the city in general is getting ready to ask you and I for a little bit more money. And... We'll have to see uh, about it. Uh, a couple things with it. Uh, they're, they're, first off, they got to decide if they actually want to do it. Second, then they would come up with the what where the money would actually go to. If they raise taxes and what have you, where would the money actually go? So we'll have to wait and see uh, with that. I think a lot of people don't like to see their taxes raised and all of that, but... If you can show people what they're going to get for their money, that's key. There are some people, no matter what, raise taxes. They don't care what it is. You, you could say, I'm going to raise, we're going to raise taxes. And after we raise taxes, you're going to get all the money right to you. People, people, people won't read the second paragraph. The second paragraph could say the extra, if they say taxes are being raised and the second paragraph says all the money goes to you. There, there's a segment of the population that isn't going to read that. They're just going to read the first and say, screw it. Raise my taxes. Damn, I don't care who's getting the money. So you're going to have to deal with that. But if you have good value, if, people, if, this, if, the, if the residents are going to get something good in return that's necessary, there's a, there's a shot that a referendum would most definitely pass. And how you play it, by the way, and this is important because it's the same thing with the school board, and that's that's something that's something key that city councilors were already discussing too. Like one of the things that might hold off doing a referendum in the fall is do you put a referendum on the same ballot 
that the school district's going to have a referendum on? We'll have to wait and see. But you can't just sell people on the idea of, we need this. Instead, you got to sell people on how they're going to directly benefit. Don't try to get votes out of guilt. Try to earn those votes for it. Of course, uh, city council is considering hiring a consultant to ask you and I the types of things we'd want to see that money go towards from a referendum. So, of course, you'll spend more money on consultant. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, and the last but not least, uh, follow up to that 2020 murder. In Eau Claire. Remember early on in the pandemic, there was that, that grisly murder on the south side off of Golf Road. It turned out to be drug and gang related. But on a Friday night, a quiet Friday night, because that was right at the beginning of the lockdown, men barged into an apartment on the south side of town, murdered a man, shot a woman. There were kids in the home. Grizzly murder. All tied back to Chicago. Three men were charged. One died shortly thereafter in police custody. Two others were, were caught. While the DA has agreed to plea deals with the two surviving men, if you will, plea deals in which they both have pled guilty here in the last month. Uh, both men have pleaded guilty. The DA got the guilty pleas, the agreement, if you will, in exchange for not recommending to the judge that sentencing be more than 15 years. Now, there's no guarantee the judge doesn't have to listen to the DA's suggestion. They could still get life in prison for being part of this murder, stuff like that. But the DA set up these plea deals in which they will advocate for no more than 15 years for each of these two men involved in this murder. The woman who survived is, is clearly not happy with this. I'm not too satisfied either. And neither should any of you out there. It seems kind of soft. Now, I don't play this card often, but let's be honest. If this wasn't a minority family that had been victimized with gang ties, remember the man who was murdered was 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 a part of a gang, sold drugs. He wasn't necessarily squeaky clean. In fact, he'd come up here from Chicago probably to run away from some debts. It was not good. But if this wasn't a minority family with gang ties and all of that, but instead was a, a white family near Princeton Valley and a bunch of gangbangers came in and murdered them, pretty darn sure there wouldn't be a plea deal. I'm pretty darn sure. And if you're going to say, no, 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 and you start looking at, folks, there's, there, there's, there's facts are only sometimes in the eyes of the beholder. Same thing with Nick Smyre. Okay? I'll leave you with this. You can always say, it's sunny. Let's, let's say, when we do this show, it's sunny outside. Or you can say, it's sunny outside. It's sunny outside. It's sunny outside. Same sentence, said two different ways, has two different meanings. Same thing. 
Just be thinking of that. Just be thinking of that. All right? And I know that we don't have all the evidence, and we don't know how they would have been. You know, Maybe they had fear that they wouldn't have been able to prosecute properly and all that sort of thing, but still, I, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that I, I think if, it had, if the man who'd been murdered was, wasn't a gang member himself, all these things, I just have a hard time thinking this type of plea deal wouldn't have happened. We'll see what the judge's sentencing actually is. Judge doesn't have to go along with that sentencing recommendation. We will have to wait and uh, and see. But it's in a tough spot for the for the judge. Well, that'll do it for today's edition of Talk of the Town. Back with another edition on Thursday. On behalf of everyone who made this podcast possible, I'm Scott Monasano saying there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Make sure to take advantage of it. And until next time, so long, everybody.